Hi, I'm Greg Lefebvre, and this is The Compulsive Storyteller, a series of short personal stories where we explore the idea that truth can be stranger than fiction. This week's episode is all about the man's noose, the necktie. My deep disdain for this article of clothing started at an early age and has lasted ever since. But teaching in the South Bronx gave me a new perspective. The Noose I hate wearing a necktie. As a kid, I had a clip-on, which wasn't too bad because it was easy enough to put on and it didn't strangle me. When I graduated to the real thing, my troubles began. Firstly, I had to learn how to tie it. When I started tying, how much longer to make one end than the other always seemed to elude me, and I didn't know if I'd succeeded until the whole knot was finished. Tying a Windsor knot was out of the question, and a hand-tied bow tie, completely impossible. Throughout grade school, I got away with just my clip-on. In high school, I simply refused to wear a tie for any occasion, which led to numerous run-ins with my dad, but mostly I prevailed. When graduation rolled around, there was no way to avoid the noose. I'd been chosen to give the student address, and my tightly tied tie chafed my neck throughout the graduation ceremony. I couldn't wait for the dance party afterwards when I could rip it off. Having entered college in the late 60s, it was a breeze remaining tieless because everybody else was as well, even the business school students. It was also the rare professor who showed up to a lecture wearing a tie. But a couple of incidents right after college brought my long tieless run to an end. My dad had remarried a woman whose son was a pilot for Eastern Airlines, and flying free was a benefit extended to my dad and his children. I asked him to get me a ticket to fly to the Virgin Islands for a much-needed vacation. He acquiesced, reminding me several times to read the rules and regulations that applied to, quote-unquote, members of the Eastern family before I flew. I, of course, didn't do the required reading. When I arrived at the boarding gate to check in, I was told by a prissy gate attendant that he couldn't seat me because I was not properly attired. I needed to be wearing a jacket and tie, as called for, in the Eastern Family Flying Regulations. In my bag, I had a jacket, but no tie. Come on, man, can't you cut me a break? Where am I going to find a tie at 6 a.m. in the morning in an airport? No go. I asked a few other passengers if they had an extra tie. No luck. Then I walked around the airport terminal looking for a store that was open. No luck either. Just as I was about to give up hope, I ran into an old friend wearing a tie. He said he could wear another tie that he had in his check bags, and I could use the one that he was wearing. But he warned me, this is my favorite tie. It was originally my school tie with my school colors, and since then it's become my good luck tie. So please, do not damage it. I gushed with thanks and assurances that I would take good care of it, tying the tie with one end much longer than the other as I raced back to the gate. The gate attendant seemed truly disappointed that he had to seat me, but the plane took off with me on it. When breakfast was served, as I pulled hard to release the plastic lid from my orange juice, it spilled all over the tie. 
God damn it, I said under my breath as I headed for the lavatory, which of course was occupied, given the orange juice ample time to sink in. Once inside the bathroom, nothing worked on the stain. Upon my return from a great vacation, I began my search for an identical replacement. It was a long search with a big problem. The tie was a discontinued custom-made school tie. I found it truly ironic that after spending a lifetime avoiding ties, I was now spending an inordinate amount of time searching for one online with no luck. My friend was not at all pleased with the tie that closely resembled his. It wasn't his lucky tie, and he never spoke to me again. Of course, there were a few other unavoidable necktie occasions. Grandparents' funerals, job interviews, and the like. But my true hatred for the tie was just beginning. Vietnam is not our war! We must say no! Only gonna go! With the Vietnam War raging and my draft lottery number at 6 out of 365, there was no way I would not be called up to serve in the war. I was drafted immediately upon graduating, but with the help of a pro bono anti-war lawyer, I put off my induction. He discovered a little-known loophole in draft regulations. Even though my local draft board had drafted me, if I secured a teaching position in certain sections of the South Bronx, one of the most dangerous neighborhoods in the country, I could transfer my draft board to New York and get a deferment from the New York City draft board. The city had such a hard time hiring and keeping teachers in the South Bronx that the city's draft board helped out by providing these deferments. Nonetheless, there was one personal snag. I would have to wear a necktie when teaching. Also, given the possible fatal consequences of an unsuccessful job interview, I decided to wear a tie on that occasion as well. One fine spring morning, I found myself in the Bronx, wearing my new necktie, walking to Public School 4 along Cretona Park. I only bought one tie in case the interview didn't go well. A tasteful, understated, tropically-themed blue tie. The requisite palm trees and sky were very closely valued, and the overall effect was monochromatic with subtle, muted overtones. I actually liked the design very much. Sporting my new necktie, I did get the teaching job. It also helped that the principal of the school, a former rabbi, had a full beard. In preparation for my interview, I had shaved off my beard, and we both had a good laugh about the irony of that. I started teaching fifth grade, and daily life as a New York City teacher became routine. But wearing a necktie every day did not. By now, I'd bought a selection of different ties as well. I began to ask around to the other male teachers if they would support an action to simply stop wearing their neckties. My plan received nearly unanimous support, and on the appointed day, none of the male teachers wore a tie. Our revolution was a total coup. The principal quickly realized that we were completely united, and there was no point in opposing such a large percentage of his staff. Game over, free from the noose. When the next parent-teacher's night came around, one of my best-behaved kid's mom, a very serious and religious woman from the Caribbean islands, said to me at the outset of our interview, You know, Mr. Lefebvre, if this was a school on the Upper East Side, you'd be wearing a tie. Looking at it from her point of view, I had to admit she was completely right. So I called a meeting in the teacher's room for lunchtime the next day. I foolishly thought 
By simply describing my parents' reaction and expressing my own thoughts on the matter, I could get everyone to start wearing a tie again. No go. Unlike the original revolution, this counter-revolution was manned by a single teacher, me. So I started wearing a tie again, and did so every day for the rest of my tenure at the school, taking a good deal of ribbing from the other guys along the way. One of the things that I very much prided myself on as a teacher was my patience and consistent willingness to answer all my kids' questions. I tried to develop critical thinking in all my students. Sadly, I discovered that the kids from my class were thought of as troublemakers at the very repressive junior high school they moved on to. Thus, by succeeding in getting them to think critically and ask a lot of questions, I'd failed in preparing them for the realities of that junior high. It was at this point that I decided to leave my teaching position at the end of the semester. On the first day of my early retirement from teaching, I hung my entire collection of ties on a cast iron fence across from my apartment which I could see from my window. Surprisingly, both male and female passersby were quite judicious in their consideration of which ties to take. I looked out every so often as the collection had thinned out. Finally, I looked out and just one single tie remained, the blue, subtle, tropically-themed tie that I bought on my first day at school. It was still my favorite tie, so I went across the street and retrieved it. It now hangs in a long, thin vertical box pinned to the wall of my office, bearing a label on the bottom edge which reads, My Funeral Tie. I've made a solemn vow not to wear it or any other tie before then. May I rest in peace, even though I'll be wearing a tie. Compulsive Storyteller is written and narrated by me, Greg Lefebvre, and co-produced with Peter Kokoma, who's also made our theme song. If you enjoyed this week's episode, we'd love your help sharing the show. Please subscribe to The Compulsive Storyteller for free on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And also, if you could leave a review, that would be fantastic. Follow the show on Instagram, at The Compulsive Storyteller, and check out our website for more information at thecompulsivestoryteller.com. Thanks for listening, and if you don't like this one, the next one will be another story. 